Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. The 333rd edition of the Four Corners podcast starts right now. This is the Four Corners Podcast. I'm the luckiest guy in the world, I've said that. To be in Chapel Hill, to be at the University of North Carolina. We win 54 to 53, North Carolina did it. North Carolina wins the championship. With 20 seconds left to play, goes back to Michael Jordan, jumper from out on the left, good! You're on way to Worthy, Worthy 5, the Tar Heels are going to win the national championship! Weber, front court, Carolina with foul, he takes the timeout, they're out of timeout, technical foul, technical foul on Michigan, they're out of timeout. Front court, Williams on the drive, gets it back out to head, long outside shot, short rebounded, May, it's over, Carolina has won the national championship. 89-72, and how about them Tar Heels, they are the national champions. I've been the luckiest coach in the world. Pump fake for three. Too strong on the shot. That's it. The Tar Heels are the national daggum champion. Carolina has been tested and tried and been proven successful through all the years. And the way that we will play will be the Carolina way. My love for North Carolina, I mean, I love this school, I love these fans, and I love everything about it, and I would I would die for this school, I really would. Here are your hosts, Josh Marlowe and Anthony Pagnotta. Hello and welcome to another live edition of the Four Corners Podcast. We are powered by Carolina Electrical Services. Josh and Anthony back with you guys here on a Saturday night, here to recap Carolina's 75-72 win at Miami. Um, as Carolina was able to bounce back from the midweek disappointment um, following that loss to Clemson on Tuesday. And we're here to take you through today's game. You'll hear from head coach Hubert Davis. You'll hear from R.J. Davis after they spoke on the win. Plenty of thoughts, plenty of takeaways um, from today's game. And we'll go ahead and and, and, and jump right into this thing. Um, and I'm going to be honest with you. Like we we hung out, we we watched the game together as we typically do on the weekends, right? Um, and, and I I said when it became apparent that Carolina was going to get out of there with a win, this wasn't going to be a, a celebratory pod, and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer, I don't want to be negative, um, just didn't like the way Carolina closed the game out. You 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 don't make a field goal over the last. Four minutes of the game. Um, You effectively took the air out of the ball at the under eight media timeout when you had reestablished control, built back up to a double digit margin. They just didn't finish the game the way that I wanted them to finish. And and we had a, a disagreement. I think it was after the Boston College game or the Florida State game where I just said, Carolina's not finishing games the way that you want them to finish because they they get to the four-minute mark and they effectively quit playing basketball. 
and they they pretty much just go to um, a modern version of the four corners where they're going to hold the ball and work the shot clock. And I get using the shot clock to your advantage. Mm-hmm. I don't understand why you quit doing things that put yourself in the position to have the lead and win the ball game. Um, and, and today, Carolina went to that at eight minutes in the ball game. And I don't know, maybe it was a little bit of fatigue that set in. Um, because only one player off the bench played double-digit minutes in this game. So maybe it was Hubert Davis just trying to conserve their energy. But this was a game that I looked at and thought, if Carolina didn't finish the deal, yes, you, you blame the players for the lack of execution, but they were, they, were, they were trying to execute what they were told to do. And it was mandated, at least it, was a, it looked that way to me, that they didn't want to keep running up and down the court because we didn't see Huber Davis frantically waving them up the court. Carolina just for some reason got in that mode where they wanted to make it a half-court game and, um, you know, down the stretch, some missed shots, which, yes, you worked, you ran great offense and you got good looks, but you miss them. You don't get offensive rebounds. They go down the other way and score, and um, instead of Carolina – cruising to what should have been a comfortable win with the way the game looked at the under eight mark. You had to get a, a block from Armando Baycott on a Norchad O'Meer layup that could have tied the game. Um, and then a uh, a lane violation on a, on, a, on a free throw to really seal the victory. And, and that's why I come on here and say I'm, I'm, I'm glad Carolina won. Um, but I'm not thrilled. I'm not ecstatic because this result was very close to going the opposite way. Well, I think that's how everybody should feel, to be honest with you. And look, maybe there are people that are just looking at it and saying that this was a road game. You got away with one. Um, so you should be happy. And I, I mean, I'm kind of where you're at. Um, I do think that there are some differences and we'll, we'll see them once we start talking about the game overall. But yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to be thrilled with that performance because you had double-digit leads in each half and gave them both away. So, yeah, you shouldn't be pounding your chest. Um, I definitely agree with you about the fact that it looked like this team got conservative after the under-eight timeout. Um, it was very obvious that, you know, this team was slowing everything down. Elliot Cadeau was the guy that was the primary ball handler just about every time, and he was making sure that he took his time getting up the court. And, you know, even when they would get into the half court, you know, before they got to the under four, I thought there were at least some times where they got into their offense earlier than they normally do when they go into that. Once you got to the under four, it was literally, we are going to wait until there are 10 seconds on the shot clock. Then we're going to, we're going to run our action. And the thing is that limits you so much. If that initial action that you want isn't there, you're, you're screwed. You, You have to take a bad shot. And then, as you mentioned, you just really you don't get the throw it up there, rebound the ball, get a second possession type of mindset from this team. We've seen it at, at certain spots, but this is not a night in, night out thing for this group. So when you don't do that, it, it makes it really difficult for you to score in those late possessions, especially since you're not shooting the ball very well from beyond the arc. So, I mean, to me, that that was my frustration with it. And, yeah, I, I look, I have been very complimentary of what Hubert Davis has done this season. And I still think that anybody that 
is using this as a reason to say that he's not having a great year, that this is just, you know, that, that he has just found a great group and that this really isn't um, any credit to him. That's going way too far. But tonight, he deserves a lot of blame for why Carolina was in a game uh, of this caliber where it felt like they had a chance to, you know, beat this team pretty handedly um, at one point in the second half. Yeah, with the win, Carolina um, does improve to 19-5 and on the year. Uh, they're 11-2 and in the league. Virginia's playing right now, so at the end of the night, we'll know if it's a one- or a two-game lead over Virginia. Uh, right now, it's just a game-and-a-half lead, I believe, right now over Duke. Um, the biggest reason why you won the game is you're, you had four of your starters scoring double figures, led by R.J. Davis, who had 25. Um, and you needed them because with no Seth Trimble, and we'll get to this a little bit later, you're virtually you virtually have no scoring off the bench. But you mentioned uh, something that we I want to talk about here in the onset. You built a 12 point lead in the first half, and you trailed at halftime by one. It's a third straight road game. You've built a double digit lead in the first half, and it's gone away. It happened at Florida State. And it happened at Georgia Tech, where Florida State, you were down, I think it was five at the break. And then, of course, Georgia Tech, you were tied. Today, you're down one. So, still in the game. Um, but you had a chance when you took that 20-day lead to really to really put the game away early. Because Virginia quit on Monday night if they got hit with a big run by – or Miami quit the other night when they got hit by a big Virginia run. Not the case today. They but they fought back at home. Then in the second half, we knew the first four minutes were going to be the most important because you're losing. It's going to set the tone for the way the game is going to be played the rest of the way. You hit them with a 14-5 run, including a stretch where you scored four straight points on the foul line because R.J. Davis gets fouled. Nor Chad O'Meara picks up a tech arguing the foul, and you build a double-digit lead again. And now while it didn't go away – it was a 73-71 ball game with 30-some-odd seconds left to go. That's virtually going away. I mean, and, let's be honest. You know, the, the thing is, is, if it happens once, it happens once. If it happens twice, it happens twice. This is the third time this has happened. This is a trend. And it's not a it's not a good one. Like, you look at the road record, and you love being 6-1 and one on the road. But – you know, you lost a game, like the Georgia Tech game. In the moment, like when we, when we went through the loss, look, we knew Georgia Tech at home, played ranked opponents really, really tough. The game before the Duke game, Carolina got caught in the trap game. But, you know, you got road games at Virginia and at Duke, and if you build double-digit leads, you don't want to squander them away and come out of that game going, what if, if you don't like the result. And so – I think this is something that Carolina's got to really – they really got to figure out what the issue is because, you know, when you were winning games at the start of the conference season, you were playing games that were tight and you were pulling away at the end. Um, you weren't really – you know, you weren't building leads and then having to fight back after blowing leads. That's been the case the last couple of games. You like that they have the ability to build the early lead or to respond after blowing the lead. But, you know, the, the, that's the, I mean, it's a good recipe to get beat 
especially on on, on the road in, in conference play. And you look at the last four minutes, um, you know, for this team to not make a field goal in the last four minutes and seven seconds and still win, I think, A, speaks volumes about the way they defended, the way they competed on that end of the floor. In the second half, let's clarify yeah. that, because in the first half, they, they just – I don't understand what the game plan was. Just let those two guys go off and take away everybody else. Like, we've seen that at other times. We saw it in – in the Bahamas, that was the plan. I, I just, yeah, second half, though, they, they stepped their game up against the two guys they needed to, so credit on that end. Yeah, but, you know, for me, the last four minutes and seven seconds, you know, Roy Williams always said, if I'm, if I'm, up, if I'm up four with four minutes to go, I want to beat you by 16 because I want to stay in attack mode. I still want to keep getting after it. And Carolina did it. And the problem is – is you're not a good enough free throw shooting team to just want to win the game at the foul line. You almost lost the game at the foul line because Harrison Ingram missed, I think it was two free throws in the final four minutes. Cormac Ryan, yep. Cormac Ryan missed a free throw, and I'm pretty sure Elliot Cadeau missed a free throw as well. Um, and then so that's where – you know, I, I think you expect and you want Hubert Davis when he looks back over this film and he critiques himself as a head coach, he looks at himself in the mirror and say, I've got to do a better job at, when, at, at that point in the game, putting my guys in the best position possible to make plays and, and get out of there with the win. Um, because, you know, I think this would have been a law. Like if, th- if this game goes the other way, this would have been the most easy to blame Hubert Davis um, for the defeat. Let's take a look at the box score. Um, Carolina shot 41% from the game. They were 24-59. Miami shot 42% for the game, just 37% in the second half. Carolina was 11 of 31 from three. The 11 made threes are the most they've made in an ACC game this season. Um, and you'll you'll take the 35% on that volume of makes. On the flip side, though, Miami shot just 26%. They were six of 23 from behind the three-point line, and that was that was after they went four of nine in the first half. We talked about how important it was to get to the foul line. Miami was giving up the fourth fewest free throw attempts per game in the country. Carolina goes 16 of 24. You want that percentage to be much higher, but the volume um, was was very much needed, and it was a good job by Carolina not not resting on the laurels for what Miami's done, and they forced the issue. Meanwhile, Miami just 10 of 13 from the free throw line. Turnovers a big issue on the road once again. 16 turnovers, 22 points for Miami. 13 Miami turnovers, just seven points for Carolina. Carolina, though, did win the rebounding margin for the 13th straight time, 43-38, to 29-26 on the defensive glass, 14-12 to on the offensive glass. Both teams had 15 second-chance points. Miami's bench outscored Carolina's 6-1, to and Miami did outscore Carolina in, in points in the paint category, 38-24. Fast break points, Carolina 14 to 8, and the Heels had 14 assists on their 24 made baskets, and Miami with 13 assists on their 28 made baskets. Let's now transition to um, the quote of the game, and you'll hear first from Hubert Davis as he spoke on the win his team picked up today earlier against Miami. 
Yeah, I, I like 20 point wins. That would be great, you know. But you know, we just keep a team and we have had very much success against them on the late and especially here in Seattle as well. Because of their athletic ability to score and know what they have in position, as well as they are no legal sense, they get to make a fight and fight and they get to make a fight and they get to make a is that line? I mean, last time Carolina went to Miami, they lost by 28. Um, and that was the precursor to me firing him. It was – and then the next game they would lose at Wake Forest in the very next edition of the podcast. I would fire Hubert Davis and claim that we had hired the wrong coach, which was um, a really stupid statement on my end. 20-point 20, 20 wins are nice. And we would all feel a lot better. I just he he mentions that we had to you know we we kept attacking we kept attacking and because we had to, and you didn't. That's I mean I I know he knows a lot more about basketball than I. Uh, although I would argue it's it's very very close from coach to podcast host. I think I'm in the same stratosphere as Schubert Davis. Of course, you run in the same circles. Like, if, if Carolina would have kept doing what they did and they just missed shots, I think we'd come on here and say, man, we went cold. And, you know, luckily we got a few rebounds, got a few stops down the stretch, and we get out of here with a win. But we didn't. We we quit playing. We, we basically gave them a pathway back into the game. And so um, I think that's something that Hubert Davis has to really look at and say, I've got to do a better job. Um, you know, eight minutes is a lot of time in college basketball, especially with the three-point line now for teams to erase deficits of double digits. And, and so with that, you have to stay in attack mode and you've got to make sure that you're trying to build upon that lead as opposed to protect it. And that's what I thought happened. I thought at the eight-minute mark, they were like that football coach that had a 10-point lead with eight minutes to play. They got too conservative, and it ultimately uh, it ultimately almost cost them the game. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's been one of the things that you've talked about a lot uh, throughout the year. And I think, you know, when you were winning games by double digits, it didn't it didn't really matter as much because it was working. The strategy was still working because you were so good on the defensive end of the four that even if you weren't scoring offensively, and I, to me, they were scoring the ball better because they were doing a better job at attacking the rim. They're, they're not doing that as much down the stretch of these games. I don't know why. They have, I mean, part of it is that I think they've just run into better teams. They've run mm-hmm. into certainly more athletic teams. And so I think that's probably part of the reason why. But, yeah, I mean, I can't really agree with Hubert. I mean, if you were still attacking, there were times where if you were still attacking, you would be running the floor. And that's what you want to see. It, look, I get being strategic. I get if it's not there, slow it down. Maybe you kill a little clock from time to time. But to me, the eight-minute mark, that's way too early. Like, I get it's a double-digit game, but there are still so many possessions left in the game. Why do you train the clock at that point? Because, yeah, you're forcing – I'll be honest. When you go into that sort of set – they, they very rarely do they get the ball inside to Armando. It's I mean, yep. it's happened before. We've seen it. 
but it's not the guy that they are able to find most easily. It takes him time typically for them to be able to find him. So to a certain extent, I mean, we saw it tonight, you kind of eliminated him from your offense after the eight-minute mark. He had one basket late in the game where Carolina finds him. But, like, I, I mean, I, I just – I don't understand that thinking. If you are running things a little bit earlier, even if you do that and you want to take some time off the clock, if you start getting into your action at 15, it at least gives you a chance to have some secondary action that can appear if – the initial look that you're trying to get is not there. So that's what's so frustrating to me. Um, I, I think, honestly, you know, this is this is something that's become a trend as the season has gone along. Hopefully it's something that he sort of realizes. Maybe a game like tonight where he went to it so early and he saw how it allowed Miami to get back into the game. Maybe that's, that, that, that's something that he needed. Sort of like this team needed a little bit of a wake-up call about how they were going through things coming into the game against Clemson. I don't know. Maybe this this will be a wake-up call, but we'll we'll have to see because tonight was not the greatest showing from Hubert Davis uh, in terms of the aggressive approach to the game. Yeah, I mean, look, the first week I would make is I'd put the ball in R.J. Davis's hands and let him dictate what's going to happen. I trust him more because you're look, a lot of times. They're going to bring Armando with that high ball screen, and they're going to trap the ball screen because of how late it is in the shot clock. Mm-hmm. A lot of sense. I trust a fourth-year senior in that situation to make the right play. Um, but the big, the biggest thing is do it earlier because if you're not even – you got good looks, and you expect a guy like Harrison Ingram or Cormac Ryan to get the perimeter looks that you're getting him. You expect him to make them. But the bigger issue is that you have no rebounding presence. Because Armando doesn't have – there's just not enough time for him to then fight down to the block and get in position to get an offensive rebound. That's the most frustrating part for me is well, we're going to set up for perimeter shots. That's that's fine because I, I, I like our guys' ability to shoot the ball, especially RJ and, and, and the Ingrams. But you need to have a rebounding presence there um, to really put yourself in a position to get a, a second possession. Mm-hmm. And if you want to then, kill some more clock. The second piece of sound I want to play for you guys um, is R.J. Davis, uh, who scored 25 points in the win tonight. It's already his eighth 25-point-per-game or better performance of the season, and he was asked about how he could continue to score at such a high rate for this team. This was your eighth 25-point game of the season. What do you need to do to keep on getting to that mark each game? Um, just staying who I am, staying resilient. And, you know, my teammates do a good job of finding me. Mom um, sets great screens for me, and Elliot does a good job of finding me, but also do a good job of um, I do have the ball kind of just making myself available in free space um, in the one-on-one situations. But at the same time, just you know, score within the political offense. Don't try to do anything that abnormal that I haven't been doing all season. So uh, just take one game at a time. Just continue to keep what I'm doing. So, you know, the, the, the best way and the one, one way he got to 25, um, he goes five of 11 from three. Um, he was just one of eight from two point territory, but he returned to form at the foul line going eight for eight. And that's really important because his percentage, which is 90 percent, um, has gone down four percentage points over the last two weeks because he's missed. I think it's like seven free throws in that time span, but you know it, it's it's amazing how just uh, two bad weeks, two bad weeks, 
can really change what your percentage looks like, um, no matter what and what category it is that you're shooting from. He was the best player on the floor for Carolina in this game. He continues to prove why he's going to be the ACC Player of the Year, um, why he's going to be an All-American, and why his name is still in the running for being the National Player of the Year. But he also needs more help um, because I don't know if you can bank on him scoring 25 or more against the likes of Virginia, the likes of Duke, and then whatever types of teams you see once you make it into the NCAA tournament. And so I look at it and say kudos to RJ. Um, Fantastic job. Once again, I I thought – you know, the, the shot selection outside of there were two threes he took where I just did not like what he did. Well, um, his, I, his, look, his shot selection late in the game wasn't good. He missed his last six, and part of it was because he just was not. I mean, that there was one that he, 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 he pointed out. It was really late in the shot clock where he took that very long floater that was from way out. Um <laughs> But, I mean, yeah, it's just uh, he did not close strong. But I I think you brought up a good point. He – when you look at where Seth Trimble's Trimble's effect is is missed the most, it's defensively and it's the bench scoring. But at the same time, it's also missed a lot because you saw R.J. Davis wear down as the game went along. Yep. And that's where having a guy like Trimble that can come off the bench, play as many minutes as he can – give RJ a little bit of a breather. Like, I know we don't want RJ out that much because we see how impactful he is to the game, but you saw when you leave him in for as long as you have these last couple of games, he down the stretch, he sort of wears himself out because he's such a high-motor guy, and I thought tonight we saw that. Yeah, I mean, if you, I think the one thing you got to do is you got to give kudos to, to kudos to Hubert Davis because he took him out. He played 39 minutes. Mm-hmm. He took him out in the first half. And it was about that point where Miami started making their run back after getting down 20 to 8, or he put RJ back in. And so this is something where if you got to have an assistant make this part of their in-game role, you you have to you have to treat RJ a lot like you had to treat Kendall Marshall, which is he's gonna play probably 37, 38 minutes a night moving forward. But if you remember, he rested at the you get eight media timeouts, eight of them. On top of the timeouts that are called during the game. And look, I know there are times where you'll see them kind of blow through the media timeout and you can sit there for an extended period of time. But if you take him out right as close to that media timeout as you can, and then you insert him after the media break, he'll sit I mean the media timeout's three minutes. But with with you counter how long he's on the bench, he gets a, a good four minutes to kind of sit there, hydrate, recharge the batteries and whatnot. And so, um, but you're you're not wrong. He my one counter to that would be was Kendall nearly as active as he was defensively, and was he someone that was as aggressive as he is trying to drive and score? Because I I didn't feel like that was really Kendall's game, a drive and score type of player. No, but he was as equally important as RJ was. Right, he- but what I'm saying, the only thing I'm saying is I feel like RJ just he, – he uses so much energy because of how active he is on both ends of the floor. So to me, that's what concerns me a little bit about trying to use him in that way. I mean, look, what you said is right. You have to really utilize those, those uh, media timeouts, and I, I feel like – 
you know, they've done a pretty good job of that. But I think, you know, there's with Seth Trimble, there's times where you can take RJ off the floor, especially in the first half. And you feel like with Trimble, because of how aggressive he is at getting to the basket, um, when, when he's able to push the ball in, you know, off of turnovers, sometimes even off of uh, just regular misses or even made baskets, I think it allows you to still score while RJ is on the bench. I feel like you can get RJ to like 33 minutes. I think that's probably the range that you're looking at, and and you can still have success with him because I, I mean tonight you could tell it really affected him late in the game. So I mean what you're saying is right. I just wonder if the different styles of play, how high motor uh, of a guy RJ is, if if maybe that makes it just a little more difficult. Yeah, at this point in the season, he's got to play a minimum 35 minutes. Um, That's just – he's too important. Um, But this is why it was important earlier in the year that you put some of those teams away so you could play them 27, 28, 29 minutes. It's harder to do it when you play the non-conference schedule that Carolina plays. But some of those road games that you weren't able to put away a, a Boston College or even a even a NC State or whatever, like those are games that if you put away and you sit them on the bench, they do add up in terms of rest as the season moves along. Stat of the game, I went three-point shooting percentage. Carolina 11 of 31 from three, um, 35%, but that volume of makes the most – made three-pointers in an ACC game this season. And then Miami was just 6 of 23 for 26%. And that was after they were 4 of 9 in the first half, just 2 of 12 in the second. Carolina adjusted the way they were guarding the three-point line, did a much better job running Nigel Pack off the three-point line, and it resulted in them putting together their best defensive half in roughly two weeks. So we've set the scene. We've, we've, we've taken you through the – the first initial thoughts, takeaways you've heard from the head coach. We've gone over the box score and so much more. Coming up next, we'll give you even more takeaways. We'll get to our discussion topic that involves uh, Carolina's fifth-year senior big man, Armando Baycott. But first, Anthony's going to tell you about uh, autograph. Yeah, and look, guys, do you want to get rewarded for listening to this show right now? I know a lot of you guys are in here live, but if you go back and listen to the show, you read our articles about the game, you read our, our upcoming articles from HeelToughBlog.com, you can get rewarded for it. And that's with an app called Autograph. The team at Autograph, co-founded by Tom Brady, is redefining the fan experience by letting users earn points for the acts of fandom that they take every day, like listening to this show and reading the website. The Autograph Fandom app gives you access to your favorite UNC content all in one place. So it's not just us. It's all the other great writers uh, and podcasters that you listen to and offers rewards like tickets, exclusive merchandise, and more. They did this with Michigan football this past year, guys. They sent people to the Rose Bowl and to the national championship game. They want to do the same thing with the Final Four and the national title game on the basketball side of things. You're listening to our show. You're reading our, our stuff on our website. But now you can earn points and get rewarded for it. Head over to the Apple App Store and search for Autograph Fandom Rewards. Download it for free and use the referral code HEELTOUGH. All one word, HEELTOUGH. Link and code will also be in our podcast description, so make sure you check that out. Once again, Autograph Fandom Rewarded in the App Store, HEELTOUGH is the code. 
You guys know what to do. After you get done listening to this edition of the podcast, get over to the Apple App Store, download the Autograph Fandom Reward app, put in that uh, that that code, and get rewarded for being a fan. As much time and money as you invest, it's time that someone rewards you, and it's a cool thing that Autograph has going on over there. did want to take uh, a moment here just to mention – uh, we, we see and appreciate all the comments, Greg Ward, Greg Newman, um, guys that, that, that chime in on a nightly basis when we go live here on the Four Corners podcast. Um, I think, uh, honestly, I think we do have to have the conversation because so many people are getting into it here. The conversation about Cormac Ryan is, is an interesting one because I've seen a lot of people, too, that are at the point of wanting to take him out of the starting lineup. Um, I've seen people that want to start set tremble over him. The thing I don't like, guys. He he's he's a longer player. There's a reason they start. He's a he, he is a guy that can basically play on the wing for Carolina. Seth Trimble is not that type of player. Seth Trimble is a guy that is a ball handling two guard. I, I don't. To me, that that seems crazy. And I get he hasn't played well. I've been very critical of him the last two games. I think defensively, he hasn't looked nearly as good. He shut down Tyrese Proctor, and then since then. Um, I, I think they they ball screened the hell out of him the last two games. Uh, and maybe that's something that we need to be concerned about because it looks like Miami watched the other night against Clemson, saw how much they screened him, and they used that today. And that's why Nigel Pack had the type of success that he did early on in the game. But, I, I, I mean, to me, I, I just – I find it hard to get to that that spot because the other thing is, is, I mean, people are complaining about the way he's shooting. Is Seth Trimble going to come in and shoot that much better? Like that's not really been Seth's game. He's, he's not a guy that's been able to stretch the floor and knock down shots this year. So I, I can't, I can't get to that spot, even though Cormac has been frustrating the last two games. Yeah, look, um, some, you got to look at the impact outside of the box score. And look, we we've got a we got a knowledgeable fan base, and we got a fan base that that knows that knows good basketball, and they know bad basketball. And look, the the shooting needs to be better. I don't think Carolina can get where we want to go with him shooting thirty six percent from the field, twenty nine percent from three. He's got to become the shooter that he was at Notre Dame. But this guy, this guy is is a big of the of, of reason why they're so connected as any guy on the roster. Definitely. Because he is, as much as Armando, RJ, he's that vocal leader. And he brings an edge to this team that um, you like and that, that you like. There, there's a fight with him. There's a sense of, there's a sense of urgency with him because, um, you know, this is, his, this is his last year. And so you see him play no matter what. He plays hard. He leaves it all out there on the court. Um, and I think he's a big reason why this team is as together as as this group appears to be. And it's kind of like the same thing when you moved Elliot Cadeau into your starting lineup. You move Cormac Ryan to your bench, your your bench just gets a little bit more shallow. I like having that energizer bunny off the bench that you turn into the game and is gonna play full throttle for 18, 20. 22 minutes can change the game with his defense. Can elevate and put the ball on the floor and get to the rim. But I don't. I don't. If Trimble is shooting the volume of shots that Cormac Ryan is shooting, I think the percentages will probably be kind of similar. Mm-hmm. And so I don't see the upgrade. The only reason you would have made that switch is if 
Cormac was just not giving you the energy, the effort, and he just earned the right to not start. And that to me, that's never been the case. I, I never looked at him and thought you've got to you've got to consider benching him. Um, and I think this is just something that kind of like Isaiah Hicks on that 2017. You just got to play through it and hope that at some point um, the ball goes in the basket a little bit more for him, um, and you get the best version of him because I do think um, Carolina's ceiling ultimately relies on that. And so with that, we'll we'll jump into our first real takeaway. My first big takeaway um, is that Carolina's veterans step up. You get 25 points from R.J. Davis, seven rebounds, five assists in his 39 minutes. You get a 79th double-double for Armando Baycott, who had 10 points, 15 rebounds in 37 minutes. He had a war all night inside with Norchad O'Meer on his way to becoming the third leading scorer all time at Carolina and the ACC, the ACCC, the ACC's third time or the third highest rebounder. Harrison Ingram pours in 13 points, four or seven from the field. He continues to shoot the three ball well. Um, and then Elliot Cadeau had maybe his his best game as a Tar Heel, 19 points, seven of 14 from the field, two of six from three. He had eight assists and five turnovers. But I look at Carolina's nucleus of Davis, Baycott, and Ingram. Those are Carolina's three best players. Um, And they all three at one point in the game had their fingerprints all over the game, and they were as big a reason why Carolina escaped the Watsco Center with a win. Yeah, I mean, look, RJ sort of set the tone early in the game and uh, really all the way until – you know, the second half of, of that second half of the game, um, that, that that was where, you know, some of the shots stopped falling. But before that, I mean, he was the guy that was really doing everything for Carolina. I mean, started the game five of eight from beyond the arc. So he was the guy that was giving you the boost you needed from outside. Uh, Harrison Ingram started shooting the ball better. I pointed out, you know, when we were talking about him heading into the Duke game that he really just – wasn't playing the way that we had seen him play early in the season on the offensive end of the floor. You'd really seen him start to struggle a little bit. He had been dealing with a wrist injury. Um, He looks more like the guy that we saw early in the year. He has the ability to stretch the floor a little bit. That's, you know, two of five from beyond the arc tonight wasn't great. He's only four or seven overall. But, um, you know, still made an impact. That's a – you take two of five. Yeah, I mean it's yeah, and I mean I th- I think the thing is is that you know for pe- people are expecting him I guess to get more shots. I I don't really know, but I I to me like when you have Elliot Cadeau shoot the ball 14 times, you have RJ Davis shoot at 19, it's it's hard to really get Harrison Ingram and and to me like he didn't have great looks. It wasn't like he was passing up great opportunities. Um you know f- the thing that's for him we've seen the last two games that's um concerning a little bit is the fact that he's not rebounding at the same level that he was. He only had 5 again tonight and that's the thing. He's either rebounding at an incredibly high level where he's getting 14 to 17 or he's rebounding, you know, somewhere in the range that we saw Pete Nance at times last year, five to six. You'd like to see him find, even on those off nights, find, you know, that that uh, middle ground of trying to get somewhere between eight and nine rebounds a game, um, and you'd probably like it. But the thing is, is that tonight you didn't really need it because R.J. Davis – 
was tremendous. Seven rebounds for him. Um, that, so that that that's what you you see from your veterans. And then, you know, Armando Baycott, ten points. 15 rebounds. I thought once Carolina started looking for him in the second half, first half, I mean, they acted like he wasn't even on the floor. Um, I didn't really understand why he was being ignored, even at times in the second half. We've seen this start to become a problem here really since that Florida State game where there's times where Carolina just isn't even looking at him, even though he's open in the post. Um, They've got to find a way to start getting him more touches down low um i I get it that you know maybe these guys are feeling like uh they don't they they just can't get these entry passes in and we saw at times tonight that they were not great at getting the ball inside to them some of the times they tried to go into them but you got to find a way to actually make those entry passes work and get it inside to a big man that whenever he's touched the ball here since this since the Duke game, it feels like something good is happening for him. And then the other thing is, we talked about Cormac. I will say this, not a great night offensively for him again, but one, didn't look for a shot nearly as much, just two of six, so made sure that he wasn't a guy that was forcing things. Um, and, you know, he made a huge defensive play, that near steal. Now, you would have liked him to steal it, but that near steal was a huge moment in the game. If Carolina gives up that basket right there, the game is tied. So yeah. that was a huge moment for him. So even even he steps up. So, again, you know, you go back, and, and I talked about it in the Duke game. And in that game, much different game, and one that the the veterans really played tremendously in but this one even though they had mistakes at times the veterans stepped up when they needed to and were the real difference in this game for Carolina yep and it's why that's why I like being old I like having the fifth oldest team in the country because I do think they they didn't blink when they got punched in the mouth in the first half or when Miami made their second charge in the second half um and I think it's going to pay dividends in the NCAA tournament, we saw it pay dividends last year for a team like San Diego State, who made the NCAA uh, tournament, the Final Four, and of course played for a national championship. Another thing that really stood out today was, you know, in a game where they still gave up more than 70, and this is now the fourth straight game that's happened after going eight, nine, 10 with, without allowing a team to score more than 70. Um, the defense did get back to who they have been in that second half. You give up 41 in the first half. Um, they, they shot, um, a, you know, very healthy percentage from the field, from behind the three-point line. You know, they scored more points in the first half than they scored the on the entire game the other night at Virginia. And, and look, we knew how important this game was to Miami, so you expected them to bounce back. The Jim Laranega's as good a coach this league has to offer. Um, and he knows how to play Carolina tough, and he's and they've always played Carolina well since he became their head coach. But in that second half, man, Carolina got after him. They hold him to just 37% shooting. And more importantly, you could tell that they took it personal um, what Norchad O'Meer and – Nigel Pack did in the first half. Those two combined for 34 of Miami's 41 points in the first half. They were two best players on the court in the first half for outside of what RJ had done um, for for Carolina. And and so in the second half, 
Omir with just four points and Nigel Pack with just two points, both just making one field goal. And that's the type of defense we got used to seeing from Carolina was them competing at a high level, holding teams to you know under 35 points for the half, well under 50% shooting from the field, but more importantly, taking away their best players. And Carolina got back to that in the second half, and that's as big a reason as to why uh, they, they left today with the win. Yeah, and look, I mean, I still had some concerns. I mean, I know two of 14 from beyond the arc in the second half – Really good, but there were times where Carolina did leave some three-point shooters open. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I will say that, I mean, that second half against Omir and Pack, I mean, they combined for two of thirteen from the field in the second half. Yep. Like you, you can't really ask for much more than that because at halftime, I mean, I got to be honest, I was wondering if they realized that they could actually step in front of those guys and play defense. Um, now, part of it was that look, uh, Nigel Pack in the first half. You have to give a lot of credit. That was a man that was just making shots. And, you know, Carolina didn't do a great job on him defensively, but there were some shots that were pretty deep from beyond the arc that if Carolina is guarding them and you end up fouling that far out, we're even more frustrated. So I think he really just made shots, and people are also going to point out the fact that he got hurt. But Carolina, even before that, was doing a much better job on him. The most impressive is on Omir. And this is, again, where you point to Armando Baycott and how much better he has gotten on the defensive end of the floor. Even in the second half, Omir's one made basket was one where he drives to his left and throws it up over top of Baycott and it goes. It was really just a great play by Omir. Armando is – I mean, he has just done a great job all year, even against athletic bigs of finding a way to stay in front of these guys. Um, He he has become so much better as a lateral defender. He moves so well, and he can test just about every shot. I continue to be incredibly impressed by him, and I know he fouls out of this game. People are going to be frustrated with that. I thought some of the fouls, um, especially the last two, were rather iffy. I I didn't really – I thought, you know, there were a couple of them where they were literally just battling each other, and for some reason in that moment they decided to call it. Um, But his block towards the end of the game was absolutely huge for Carolina. And it continues to show that even though you aren't scoring at the level that people think you should be scoring, um, you can still make a huge impact on the game. And I thought, yeah, second half, Definitely a lot better from Carolina on the defensive end of the floor. And if they're they're going to win some of these games. Now, luckily, you know, they, we're on the back half of this road schedule. But if they're going to find a way, they've still got three road games left, and all of them are incredibly tough. Carolina's got to be able to defend the way that they did during that, that stretch to start conference play if they want to find a way to win those games. Last takeaway before we get to our discussion topic, we'll move along pretty quickly here. Um, If we didn't know how valuable Seth Trimble was the other night in a loss, we learned even more so in a win how valuable he is. Carolina got one bench point tonight, and that was from Zayden High on a free throw attempt. And um, that better be the last point Zayden High scores in a meaningful game the rest of the season. Paxton Wojcik was the only guy to play double-digit minutes. He played 18 of them, and while he didn't score, I'm not going to allow his uh, 
effort to go unnoticed because he played hard. He grabbed three rebounds, defended his tail off, did all the little things you need a guy like him to do coming off the bench. Jalen Washington played just six minutes, didn't score. Jalen Withers played five minutes and didn't score. Without Seth Trimble, this bench unit looks completely different. They look, outside of Wojcik's energy, they look lifeless. Um, Jalen Washington is getting to a point where he's almost unplayable, you feel like, just because he he's, he's getting pushed around. And I've got to remind myself that he's still two years removed from major knee injury, and he and baby hasn't had the full offseason he wants to have to put muscle and weight on his body. But with this guy cleared to be our big man of the future moving forward, it is evident what he needs to do this offseason to become the best version of himself that he can be. And so, um, you know, there's not many nights that Carolina's won this year when they've gotten one bench point because the bench has been vastly improved. But there's no denying that with the absence of Seth Trimble, we're not as deep as we as as we are, and more importantly, we're learning that he is by far and away a Carolina superior reserve. And without him, it makes it harder for Carolina to win these games. Yeah, I mean, look, we should have known that even before he got hurt. I mean, it was becoming very obvious the amount of minutes that he was playing, the way that he was scoring. I mean, he was the guy that was Carolina's best player off the bench. But, my God, it has gotten to a point now. I mean, Jalen Washington has just completely disappeared. Like, I don't know what changed. I really don't. Where now he's a guy that is just getting pushed around Every time that he's on the floor, um, I didn't think it was that evident early in the season. But now, I mean, it, it, you saw it tonight. Omir, and I get it. Omir's a really good player. Like you need to credit him. He's a guy that um, you know. Th- there are so many great bigs in this conference, and even still, he may end up a first team All ACC member. But if he doesn't, it's just because of how much depth there is at that position. Um, but, I mean, there were multiple times where he is just getting pushed aside. Even some of the guys that are backing up. Um, for Miami coming off the bench, did a better job. I mean, he had two rebounds in the game, and in six minutes that's not terrible, but it's it's certainly not great. He's not the rebounding presence that he needs to be at times. Jalen Withers, I mean, last two games he's played 10 combined minutes, even with Seth Trimble out. We thought he would be a guy that would capitalize. So you saw tonight they put him in early, he makes you know three mistakes in, in the first few minutes that he's in, and Carolina had no choice but to take him off the floor. And, yeah, with without Seth Trimble, you get pretty thin pretty quick. Paxson Wojcik, as you said, I think, to be honest with you, he is playing with about as much effort as just about anybody on this team. Um, he has been tremendous, I think, the last two games. I know that he's not a guy that's scoring the ball well. He had opportunities early in the game to knock down shots. But, I mean, to me, it's hard to be super critical of him because he he just – he's always playing with a high motor. He's getting on the floor. He's getting in passing lanes. So he's the guy that, in all honesty, has probably showed you that if you need him more down the stretch of the year – he can play for you. If he could ever find that shot, and part of the reason why it's probably not going down is because he simply hasn't been out there. But if you need him, you can use him. So that's that's been one good thing that you've found from 
this injury. But other than that, man, Washington and Withers regressing off the bench is not what you've really needed. And now it, it makes it even more important that this injury to Seth Trimble, which luckily does not seem to be that big of a deal because Carolina thought he had a chance to play today. Um, You know, it shows you that you need to get him back as soon as possible. Yeah, because right now you just have no scoring punch without him. Well, and the other thing, I forgot to mention it, without him out there, again, early in the game, struggling against a guard. Hard to imagine that if he wasn't available, they wouldn't have put him on Nigel Pack. That could have changed the first half impact that Pack had. Yeah, I mean, Carolina's missing their best scorer off the bench and their best their best defender uh, on the team uh, in the absence of Seth Trimble. Mm-hmm. All right, really quickly, we'll get to our discussion topic for tonight. Um, we've been very defensive, if you will, of Armando Baycott this year through a season where he's had an up-and-down year where he played really great to start the year, then had a quiet stretch. Got it going, went away, and is back now. Third straight double double. Um, tonight he's you know he, he passed. Uh, you know he's now third all time at Carolina in scoring, third all time in the ACC in rebounding. I thought he battled very well with Norchad O'Meara. Um, you know I thought he was up to the task. You know to take three shot attempts in the first half, but come back in the second half and establish himself as a presence for this team. You know, meant meant a lot. And Carolina doesn't win the game without his 10 points, 15 rebounds. And I think I'm just at a point now where I I just want people to to just shut up and and let Armando Baycott be Armando Baycott and and let the guy play. Because I saw so many Carolina fans, you know, after at halftime. The ACC runs through me, but you got two points and seven rebounds. You're not watching the game. Like, yeah, he would have had maybe eight and seven had he gotten the ball where when he should have gotten the ball. Um, you know, I had people telling me that, I, that, that they were the reason that he lost to Clemson. And, and I was like, he gave you 24 and 13. He people was the reason know the game, were, man. The way he's the reason why you were even in the game. And, and so, you know, is his production where we thought it was going to be? No. But you know what he's doing? He's doing more while scoring less. His his screen his screen assist. I bet you, if I were to go find that statistic, would be as as uh, among as good as any big in the country. His his defense, whether he's one on one isolated or if he's going to help a trap, he forced a steal today because of the trap that he had. Like I, I just look at it and and I just think he's doing things that he hasn't done. In four years, and this is his last year, and he's playing like it's his last year. I think the Duke game was kind of that, you know, the the alarm going off that's saying now the season starts for real. I've got to get ready to go to another level. He's put together three straight double doubles, and I'm just, I'm just, is it? Am I asking too much to ask a fan base to lay off a guy who literally said on national TV he's willing to die for the university? I don't feel like I'm asking too much to give Armando Baycott, one of the most beloved Tar Heels ever, mm-hmm. some grace. Well, it's just about using your brain. I mean, seriously, guys, it's tough to view the game with your head crammed where you go to the bathroom. Like, seriously, right. start thinking. Because I just 
Like, if you watch the game and that's who you're pointing to and saying that dude ain't that, that dude's not doing what we're supposed to do, guys, in the first half, I mean, what is he supposed to do? Is he literally supposed to walk up to the guys that are handling the ball and take the ball away from him? Like, I, I just – he is open at times inside. They just cannot get him the basketball. I don't know why. It's frustrating. It makes me want to slam my wall through a head or, or uh, my head through a wall at times. But, like, look, it, it's – I mean, you, you said it. The way he screens – now, to me, I don't think they use him enough at times to screen. I think the last two games, there's been times where I've said, can we get a high ball screen here? He's on the floor. Use him. Um, that that drives me crazy. But, I mean, he screens at an incredibly high level. I think he's defended – yeah, we've seen it. You, you talked about, you know, the way – I said it earlier, too. The way he defends – inside against the bigs you, you've seen him take a huge step there but also the way that he has defended off of switches last year if you had to switch with him you were pretty much guaranteed to give up a basket he just he didn't have the foot speed the stamina wasn't there he get worn down as the game went along he wasn't great at closing out all of those areas he has improved this year and it's very evident when he gets switched on to guys it's not an automatic basket. Now, there's times where there are still going to be mismatches. We saw it in the Georgia Tech game. But for the most part, he's handled himself pretty well. So, yeah, I mean, he's rebounding at a high level. I mean, he had 15 again tonight. He's really settled in since the Duke game in that area. And, like, I mean, yeah, people were complaining the other night about him against Clemson. I get it. There were a couple of times where I thought, he you know, could have put himself in position to grab a rebound or whatever, but I think it was just that he may have been out of position on certain plays. To me, there's no way that you can question him at this point. And again, you need to look about around this team and really focus on what are the biggest areas that you should be questioning. Because if you think that Armando Baycott, if you think that R.J. Davis, those are the guys that you should be questioning – I just don't know what to tell you. They're the reason that Carolina has a chance to be where they're at right now because some of the other guys, I mean, yeah, Harrison Ingram, I think, is is another guy that's getting himself into that category. But there are a lot of other areas where Carolina has to improve, guys. And uh, to me, I look at Armando Baycott and, and what we pointed to on the defensive end of the floor where the team has struggled. I even said it tonight. First half, when, when he was matched up against Omir, I did not think he was that bad. The thing that Miami was able to do a lot of in the first half was they were able to switch Omir onto somebody. They got Armando on somebody else, and that was where they really took advantage. So, I mean, I, I don't know, man. That's that's a guy that at this point, if, if you're just wanting to get on there and complain about him, you're probably one of those people that also wants to just complain about Hubert Davis. Like, you don't watch the game, you look at the box score, and you want to complain. If, if, if you want to just look at a box score to judge a game, then it's, it's simple. Turn your televisions off, do that, and enjoy, because that's a pathetic way to consume. I, it just is. Well, that's going to wrap up this edition of the podcast, guys. Before we let you go, we do encourage you to visit the website, HealToughBlog.com. Recap of the Miami game was already posted uh, for you to go read a little bit more in-depth about Carolina's 
come from behind win um, in Coral Gables as they bounce back from the midweek loss to Clemson. I'll be back. Quick turnaround for me, getting you ready for Syracuse with the heels back in action on Tuesday night. As for the podcast, you know where to find us, every major podcasting platform. Simply search the Four Corners podcast and we will pop up. We're there. We humbly encourage you guys to rate, review, and subscribe. That way you don't miss any editions of the show throughout the remainder of the basketball season. Well, with that, guys, this is going to wrap up this edition of the show. We want to thank you guys for listening. Well, thank Anthony for hosting with me. And as always, go Tar Heels. Guys, it just doesn't get any sweeter than that.